Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. So we're going to do this thing at the beginning. Those of you who are just joining, I'm sort of doing a little song, a little dance, a little seltzer down your pants, as the saying goes, so that we can all sort of be gathered before we begin. Not something we've done before, but ever after this, y'all are going to be getting familiar with this as the beginning of every gathering room. The thing that brought this together was a brief exercise that I did, and I'm gonna talk a lot more about it today. I've been rereading the research on which it was based. Isn't that, doesn't that just sound yummy, rereading the research on which it was based? Doesn't that just make you feel like killing yourself? No, it does not. It turns out to be good. This research is on the way the brain pays attention to the world. And it just so happens that the way we pay attention to the world has everything to do with how good we feel. People have known this for millennia in contemplative traditions, but it's not something that's really a big part of our culture. As you know, I, or maybe you don't know, I'm very interested in the fact that our culture encourages us to use primarily the left hemisphere of the brain and actually discourages things that are usually the province of the right hemisphere. So the left hemisphere is verbal and analytical and time-bound and measured, and the right hemisphere does things like uh, imagination, um, metaphor, poetry, art, all the different, and, and connecting, 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 feeling connected to the whole world, where the left hemisphere disconnects. And as my friend Jill Bolte-Taylor says, the best thing is to have the whole brain at work all the time. Now, in 2007, I read a book called The Open Focus Brain by a man named Les Femi, who was at Princeton, and uh, he did a lot of research there using the very first um, electroencephalograms, I believe is the word, EEGs. And they, they wired people up, their scalps up to, the, to computers and looked at the brain waves that are associated with feelings like anxiety and peace and creativity and um, joy and love and all the things. So they were just learning about the brain. And they found... Um, Les Femi found working on himself because he was really fascinated with the whole thing. He tapped his own brain up to a computer and he tried to go into a brain state that he called synchronous alpha. And that is the alpha waves of the brain are these slow, smooth, even waves. And they come from parts of the brain that are relaxed. And if you can get the whole brain to be synchronized in alpha waves, you get these very, very intense physical effects. And they also, they basically burst open your perception so that the right hemisphere of your mind joins the left hemisphere. So you see everything that you've been seeing all along, but you see much more as well. And you see things that aren't physical, measurable, time-bound. You see things that are not things, like imagination. You know, point me to an imagination. You can't. Show me a piece of love. You can't. It's something ineffable that we feel. And the left hemisphere likes to say that it is the only thing that exists, and anything it doesn't see or know or think important does not exist. And the right hemisphere doesn't do that. It includes everything. Well, we live in a culture that has cut us off from at least half of our perceptions and then made us believe that that's all there is. 
So the reason I do this podcast is try to bring non-religious spirituality into a place where we can all think about it, feel about it, and practice it in little ways. So I said I was going to do this before I began the gathering room, and then I didn't do it. But I think everybody's here now. So what I had everyone do when we had the request for a repetition was an open focus brain exercise. And it starts by understanding that most of the atoms in your body are composed almost entirely of empty space with just a tiny bit of matter. And for some reason, the brain uh, reacts to certain suggestions by going into this open focus synchronous alpha state. And the thing I was throwing out to you all the other day was, can you imagine the distance between your eyes? So I'm going to ask you to do that all again. This is part of, this is our invocation. It doesn't reference a higher power or anything. It just asks you to imagine, is it possible to imagine the empty space in the distance between your eyes? I'm going to let you think that and do that a few times. Can you imagine the space in the distance between your eyes. Some of you are doing it. You can just, you can kind of close your eyes or let them be at half mast. Can you imagine the space in the distance between your eyes? Okay, I feel literally coming from my computer this sensation that I get when I go into synchronous alpha myself. When other people are doing it, it's much more tangible for me, much easier to feel. Very, very real. I can feel it right now. So somebody had a good experience with this and said, let's do it every time we open up. And so we will. We'll have a moment. But I'm going to change it a little bit. I just went back and reread all about the open focus brain. And there are different parts of the body that you can bring in that are also very powerful. Les Femi started with the distance between our eyes because we're usually in very tight, narrow focus. That's what the world asks us to do, um, our culture asks us to do. And so if we focus on the distance between our eyes, our attention's usually right there anyway, but then it can go down, down, down all the way through the body. Now, when this happens, and I've been practicing it because I knew I wanted to talk to y'all about it, When narrow focus gives way to an open focus, what we find are the things, only they're not things, that I call the helpers that never leave. When I was uh, growing up in Mormonsville, um, the Mormons had a hymn book that they, they used a lot of old Anglican hymns and then threw in some of their own. Uh, And there's an old Scottish hymn that I used to actually really like. It's by uh, Henry Francis Light. He was a Scottish Christian Anglican who was dying of tuberculosis. And he wrote this song called Abide With Me, and it just means stay with me. And I remember even as a little kid, um, some of the lines in this were so powerful because this was a man who was facing it, right? And there are there are phrases in it that have never left me. Like he says, when other comforts fail, when other helpers fail and comforts flee, 
help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. And I remember singing that as a little kid and really feeling it and feeling it again as I saw and learned about other creatures that were helpless. Like the, the, the helplessness of beings was almost unbearable to me. It's not that great still. And it so happens that of all the things that cause us trauma, the predominant thing is a sense of helplessness. So if we're under fire, but we're active and we have a plan and we're making it happen, we're much less likely to get PTSD than if we feel powerless and helpless. Yet there are so many situations in our lives where we are quite powerless and helpless. You know, what do you do in the face of things like wars and earthquakes and climate change and, and injustice and racism and all the things that are really, really around us. And we each of us feel like such little creatures, you know, oh Lord, the ocean is, your ocean is so big and my boat is so small. Um, it's easy to feel helpless because our culture is about go do something measurable. And the idea that you can work with the unmeasurable and that you can actually have an effect on the world and on your own life in a situation where you are materially helpless, that's not part of our culture. And I learned this as a little kid and could never find what it was talking about. I'd get into places where I felt helpless, like giving birth or something, and I would be like, help, help, and nobody came, right? I mean, people came, but the, the helplessness that I was feeling was so deep, sometimes people came. Sometimes I was really, really, I felt very alone. But then I started, um, I had a few really breakthrough spiritual experiences and I started to practice things like meditation and contemplation. And I realized that there are, there are these helpers, these friends that are always there for me, always, 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 especially when I feel most helpless. And interestingly, they all are words that repeat the sound S twice. I don't know if that has anything to do with the fact that S is such a basic s sound of the wind and the water. But those words are stillness, silence, and space. So most of our universe is made up of stuff that has no atoms in it. It's not made up of anything. We only know that it exists. We call it dark energy and dark matter because it doesn't have atoms. We can't see it. We can't find it. But the way the universe is working gravitationally means it has to be there. And this is the bulk of the universe. Just as empty space is the bulk of the atoms in your body. So imagine instead of you being an object knocking around, that you, you are a creature in space and space is like a three-dimensional medium and you are floating through it, but it supports you. It holds every atom and it suffuses every atom. It's always there and it's always, uh, imagine it as being alive. Can you imagine that instead of the part of you being alive, being your body and the matter that you are, imagine what if the part of you that's alive and conscious is the space inside you? What if space itself is full of consciousness, is full of love. We don't know what consciousness is. It's one of the immeasurables, right? And space is always there. By the same token, stillness is always there under every action. 
So you may have had a really busy day. You may be exhausted. You may not get enough sleep. You may be sick right now. You may be in pain. If you use the open focus brain tools, I'm going to teach you a couple more in a minute. It's incredible how much you can alleviate your own pain and your own stress. You start to listen for the silence beneath all sound. It's always there. Sound comes and goes. Silence is always holding it. Stillness is always there. Action comes and goes, but stillness always holds it. Matter comes and goes, but space always holds it. What if we are the space, the, sp the stillness, and the silence? That's what happens when you meditate a lot. You get deep, deep into it, and you're fighting, and you can't understand, and then there's something like a phase shift, clonk. And as Eckhart Tolle said, it's so simple. You, start, you stop looking at things in space, and you start looking at, at space itself. So here's a little exercise that Les Family suggests. If you're looking at a computer screen or a phone screen right now, or even if you're looking at something else, a book or a picture or your own hand, whatever you're looking at, instead of focusing your attention on it, focus your attention on the empty space between you and whatever you're looking at. So become aware of the space between you and whatever you're looking at. Make that the focus of your attention. Ooh, you're doing it. I can feel it. Now I'm going to give you some more suggestions. Can you imagine the distance between your eyes? Start there. Can you imagine the distance between the center of your neck and the top of your head? Try that. The space and I know that our culture laughs at this, but the space inside the substance of your head. And then drop down. Can you imagine the distance between the base of your throat and your heart? Can you imagine the space inside your upper chest and the space inside your heart? The stillness, the silence, the space, the conscious no-self. The heart is the radio. Space, love, consciousness are the music. Now, can you imagine the space that holds your heart in place, diffusing into all of space, all of space holding your heart? holding your spine, holding your intestines, holding your entire body. But back and back and back we go to the space inside your heart and how it reaches into the furthest ends of the galaxy. Can you imagine the space inside your heart? I'm going through these really fast, and I think a lot of you are keeping up really well because right now I literally feel like I'm kind of levitating. It's, and it's, it continues to get stronger as we go. It's really, I don't know if you guys can feel it, you folks can feel it, but it is really, um, it's as tangible as love. It's as tangible as imagination. It's as tangible as knowledge. So 
I hope you just keep feeling the space inside your heart. And the trick is that you start by practicing these little exercises and you can go online and get them. Uh, so you start by doing all these imaginary things in your head. It doesn't take very long. Your right hemisphere opens up, your whole brain comes online. You feel more peaceful. You come out of fight or flight and into love and be loved. And you can sustain it going through the world if you practice it just a little bit. And the, the clinical effects on people who've done this are astonishing. It heals everything from their anxiety to their ulcers to their, you know, to diseases that aren't supposed to be curable. So that's the little exercise. And we started with it, but I thought I'd just really talk about it because the way to the helpers that never leave is just to remember silence, stillness, and space and find any one of them. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. Okay, so Jessica says, the trick is remembering to ask the helpers when I'm in fight or flight. Exactly. I'm learning. Do you have a trick besides basic repetition for going straight to asking for the helpers before going into despair? I don't because your emotions are geared to give you a little helpful boost. Like, um, you know, when, when little kids go bowling and they put the bumpers in the alley so that they can't, they can, the ball can't go in the gutter and it will always hit at least something. It's like our emotions are arranged so that we will never just wander off too far before coming back to what we are, stillness, silence, and space. And the mechanism, the bumper, is pain, suffering. Physical pain, emotional pain, psychological pain, all of it, spiritual, not dark night of the soul, eventually will help you say, I need help. There is no helper. Help of the helpless. Abide with me. And then you remember, what always abides? Another line in that poem is, change and decay in all around I see, O thou who changest not abide with me. What never changes? The helpers that don't leave. Stillness, space, and silence. So no, I can't give you a hint that will help you remember before it hurts. But it's kind of like um, burning yourself on the stove repeatedly because of the same action. You, you, you get burnt a few times, then you start to catch it right before it burns you actually, and then you start to like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that again. So it teaches you if you're willing to learn. Here's the thing. If you don't know how to find the helpers and you're just in despair, it's like putting your hand on a hot burner and not being able to move it. So you don't learn anything because it never alleviates the pain. But when you're in pain, physical and emotional and spiritual, I've been in plenty, um, and you remember, oh, help the helpless silence, stillness, and space, and you drop in, and you start to imagine the space inside your heart and this incredible, warm, 
nothingness that that diffuses throughout all creation it never ever 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 goes away it's always there for you and pain is a helper also that gets us to the other helpers but pain is the helper that does leave and the others don't Donna says, how, we, how do we get to that place of imagining the space when we're experiencing the fear or anger of others? Is there a way to do this in the midst of our or others' anxieties and anger? Okay, this is really a great question. Um, a trainer once told me, keep 75% of your attention on the inside of your body when you're dealing with people who are, especially people who are upset or triggered. And you want 25% of your brain is plenty to track whatever's happening there. But just as I said, look at the distance between the empty space between yourself and whatever you're looking at. You can shift your eye gaze just the tiniest bit. So somebody's yelling at you. Uh, maybe they're red faced and they're yelling. And if you start, if you open the aperture of your attention. So all you see in narrow focus is the thing you're afraid of. Uh, Les Femi talks about a little boy who was raised in an abusive alcoholic household and how they thought he couldn't read, but it turned out it was just that he was in fight or flight so intensely that his eye gaze had narrowed to the point where he could only see one word at a time. And so they had to teach him to open his gaze word by word by word. And after a few weeks, he could read fluently. So if you're looking at something that scares you, you know, obviously notice that they can't physically assault you. You want to like make sure of that. And then start to notice the things around them and the distance between the two of you and the space inside your body instead of focusing on their anger. That's easy. You can register that. That's an easy thing to follow. But now start looking at the space between you. And if you start, to, you can actually start to hear the silence beneath the yelling. You can feel the peace and stillness beneath all the agitation. And you just put your eyes on that. And it's really simple. There's a yoga statement that helps you soften the gaze of your eyes. And you can use it in an emergency. And it just says wall to ceiling, oh no, floor to ceiling, wall to wall, all things equal. So right now, wherever you are, look at everything in your perceptual field and give it equal importance. Not just that center point that we're always, we're always told, look at me, focus, keep your eye on the balls, read that book. These are all things that drive us into fight or flight. They increase anxiety because narrow focus is part of anxiety. And they cut us off from feeling the helpers because the left hemisphere cuts out the right hemisphere and the whole, the wholeness of our experience. So that's a great um, question, Donna. And it's, it's something that to practice as a black belt skill but you really can get there. Like try it watching the news or reading an angry post on inter the internet, put it out there, floor to ceiling, wall to wall, all things equal. Can I imagine the space inside my heart? <sighs> Kathy Kiernan says, where can we find these exercises? This is spectacular. I'm so glad you think it's spectacular. I thought it would be the next big thing. When I read this research in 2007, I thought everyone's going to do this. Why would you not? Um, it's again, you can go to Amazon and order the book. And then it, Les Femi is it's F E H M I. He was the guy who really um, pioneered this and he put out 
DVDs. I'm sure you can get downloads, audiobook downloads, where he goes through dozens and dozens and dozens of the can you imagine different places in your body and also tells you how to, like if you have a place that is painful or even like a really high stress or fear or whatever, if you locate it in your body and then dive into it with your attention and then imagine it diffusing into space, you can you can stop pain. I used this after my foot surgery. It really, really worked. It's like a miracle. And um, so far as I've been able to see, he's the main proponent of it. So go to his name and Google that and you'll find the whole Princeton thing where they supported that research. So Natalie says, is soft focus a Native American spiritual practice? I feel like I read that in one of your books. Good eye, Natalie. Good memory. Um, it's a practice of almost everybody in the world who isn't in a left hemisphere dominated culture. So what I referred to in that book was a discussion between the great psychologist Carl Jung and a friend of his, a dear friend of him, his, who was a Pueblo chief called, I think it was Chief Mountain Lake, that was his name. And they were close enough that Jung felt like he could ask Chief Mountain Lake what the native peoples actually thought of Anglos. And he said, oh, we think you're completely insane. And Jung is like, really? And he said, yeah, you're staring. Like, you're always staring. What is it you're looking for? Why are you after something? You're always hunting. You, you're never satisfied. And you say you think with your heads. And Jung was like, don't you think with your head? And he was like, no. And Jung said, well, what do you think with? And, and he just did this, just everything the whole nervous system, the electromagnetic field that extends into this space, the great spirit, everything's connected. That's how we think. And I've seen people from many cultures that are not Western-based have that kind of open focus that you'll read about. If you read colonial reports of Europeans going into other different countries, they talk about how they look stupid and blank because their, their focus is soft. And... Well, history will show who is more stupid and blank, right? So thank you, Natalie. Laura says, how do you overcome the worry that you are about to get sick, anticipating pain, using the tools you shared? I'm so glad you asked. I had this worry myself this week. And so you find the worry in your body. Mine was in my chest. I was afraid I was getting a sore throat. I was slightly. Um, so, but what I'm looking for is not the pain of the sore throat, it's the fear. And that was focused on my, I had a tight, narrow focus on my throat because I thought, oh, is it getting sore? So what I do is I notice where my focus is narrow. And then I imagine my attention diving down into the fear and being in the same physical space. And then I say, can I imagine the space inside the substance of my throat? my neck. Can I imagine that? Because that's where the fear is. Can I imagine the space inside the fear? Can I imagine the distance between my fear and my heart? You, can, you start, like just saying, can you imagine, triggers the right hemisphere and starts to open perception. And, you know, I had a sore throat. Doesn't always work for me, but it works a lot. I went in cleared the fear, the whole, my whole chest relaxed, my throat relaxed. So far I'm fine. So um, it really, it's really useful for physical pain and injury and animals use it all the time. 
Um, Muscon Bali says, the friends that never leave seems like a constant in a temporary world. How do I use this to ease deep loneliness since moving to college and my identity crumbling apart? What a beautiful question. And you're absolutely right. Change and decay in all around we see. Everything is changing. Everything is falling apart. Everything is always falling apart. And our identities are little tiny things we grip for a moment before um, something bad happens or someone leaves us or we get old or we get sick. And it all is falling apart. You know, that song was written by a man who's who was literally dying. And we're always moving that way. We're always shifting and we know it's shifting toward ultimately not being material. So our identities are always in flux. And if you find the place that's frightened of that, the place that there's gripping. So narrow focus is a gripping sensation. And even the left hemisphere is responsible for gripping motion in the hands. So notice where you, does your heart grip? Does your stomach grip? And just allow it, allow it to grip as much as it wants find the fear located in the body, and then begin to imagine the distance between, say, the space between your eyes and the point where you feel most afraid. The place between your heart and the place where you're gripping an identity. And just breathe into it. Can you imagine that silence, stillness, and space hold this frightened being? Hold these molecules and atoms. Hold every single living thing, every person in every moment, continuous and constant and always awake and alive and loving. Can you imagine that we're all saturated by a sea of consciousness and that there is no distance between our individual consciousness and the whole? So this day, I have felt your beautiful presence. I have felt the space, stillness, and silence holding us all everywhere we are in the world. It's a miracle to me every time we get together. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and practice these skills a bit. And I will see you next time on The Gathering Room. It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025. But 
I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star.